thankful that you are here. And let me just acknowledge from the beginning, I understand the impossibility of the task that I have been given um, today because in many places here, you guys, your minds are on many different things. Your minds are on the gifts you have already received or those that maybe you're waiting to get. Your, your minds are on the gatherings that are going to take place today, the food you have to cook, the things you have to do, the family you have to endure, um, whatever that might be. Our minds are on many different things, yet my prayer today in the next few minutes is that God would captivate our hearts and minds. And that our focus would be upon him in this moment and what he would have to say to us from the standpoint of the hope that we must have in him. And the, the only hope that we can have, which is in him. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, which might not sound like a nice Christmas text, but I promise you it is but today marks the fifth and the final message of our Christmas series, A Thrill of Hope, where we have continually declared week in and week out that what our weary world needs or is in desperate need of in this season and every season is a thrill of hope that can only come through Jesus Christ and through having a relationship with him. For no matter how special the gifts you receive today, no matter how good the food you enjoy today, no matter how warm the fellowship you experience today, this day can by no means measure up to the day that Mary gave birth to the Son of God. In fact, your celebration of Christmas today will be ultimately meaningless. Let me say it again, meaningless if it does not flow from your understanding of, for your faith in and your gratitude for what happened on that first Christmas day. And may our Christmas not be meaningless. Don't miss the beauty of this day because there will be a day. In fact, tomorrow morning, for those of you who've had your station set at 96.1, nothing but Christmas music, you will get up, you will turn on your car, and Christmas music will be gone. In a matter of days, if not weeks or two, all the lights, the tree will come down in your house, unless you're those weird people that keep them up way longer than that. Um, but that is just, you do you. But eventually, your trees will come down, the lights will come down, your house will look empty. The newness of the gifts you have given to your children will have long worn off, and they will be asking for something new again. Everything will be back to normal, the celebration, the anticipation of a season will be gone. But Jesus Christ will still be our Savior and the hope of our lives. For he is the fulfillment of all and he is the only hope for our world today and every day. So I want us to dive in this morning. We're going to look at Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, and understand how this is a Christmas passage. So beginning at verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that time in history where you sent us your son. And Lord, that's not just a one-day thing for us. It is something that we as believers celebrate every day. Our Savior has come to us. Our Savior has come 
for us, and he is a savior to us forever. Lord, just speak to us today by your word, through your spirit, and I pray, God, that the hope that we are looking for in other things that continually disappoint us, that today we would find that hope in you, that there would indeed be a thrill of hope in our lives, in our families, in our celebrations today, because we are looking to you. Just have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. And let me just say this this morning, Christianity is unique among all other religions because it is about God's pursuit of us to draw us to himself. Despite the world's efforts to keep God out, God came in. God intruded, so to speak. There's a book called The Divine Intruder. And James Edwards writes this, God breaks into this world even when he is unexpected, even when he is unwelcomed. God God joins us in our weakest and worst moments. And then he says this, there is a divine intruder among us, a God who has broken into our world. And think about this. The Lord did not wait for an invitation in order to enter into our world. Clothed with humanity, he lived as a servant. In fact, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He lived as a servant, he died as our sacrifice, and he rose from the dead as our Savior. That is our Jesus. Several years ago, a group of historians authored a book called If, Our History Rewritten. And some of the ifs that those scholars considered were, just a few of them, what if Robert E. Lee had not lost the Battle of Gettysburg? What if Booth had missed when he shot at Abraham Lincoln? Or what if Napoleon had escaped to America? Just apply this for a moment to the central event in all of history, the birth of Jesus. What if Jesus had not been born as predicted? What if he wasn't born? And such an if should stagger our minds. It's like imagining the earth without a sunrise or imagining the heavens without stars. Yet this if must be taken Seriously, especially at Christmas, because the world in which we live, let me say this this morning, no matter what they say, they are truly oblivious to the meaning of Christ's coming. In all practicality, they will say, in fact, somebody did a research this, this, year, this week, excuse me, and it said a majority of Americans say that Christmas is about Jesus and um, not about Santa Claus. And it's easy to say that practically, yet experimentally, the world lives as if it's all about Santa and not about Jesus. Why? Because practically they know the story. Experimentally, they don't know Jesus. And this is the reality of the world in which we live. Can you imagine what our world would look like without Jesus? What would history have been without Jesus? And at a personal level, what would your life look like without Jesus? Is that how you're living right now? Are we living in a way where Jesus is not a part of our lives? where he is not a part of our thought, where he is not a part of our, our, our living and our doing and submitting to him. Thank God there are no ifs in history. There are no ifs because our Savior has come. So what I want to do this morning is I want to quickly unpack two truths of the fulfillment of hope that we have in Christ's coming. The first is this. Jesus came at the perfect time. He came at the perfect time. 
The Apostle Paul says this in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So the coming of Jesus into the world was not a matter of chance. It was not a matter of coincidence. His coming was part of God's divine established plan from the foundation of the world, from the very beginning. Think about this. Where or when did Christmas begin? Where did it begin? Did it begin in a manger? Did it begin when the shepherds heard the angels declaring the birth of the Savior? Did Christmas begin with the announcement from Gabriel to Mary? Or did Christmas begin earlier than that? Like in the book of Daniel, when Daniel saw a vision of a kingdom filling the entire earth, and that kingdom was ruled by one person called the Son of Man, Jesus. Is that when it began? Or maybe we could go back further to the prophet Isaiah, who 700 years before Christ came, prophesied that a virgin would conceive and would bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. What an amazing prophecy. Yet to answer the question, where did Christmas begin, we need to go back all the way to the beginning of the story, all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. So Genesis 1 and 2 begins with God creating all things, declaring it to be good. He then made man and woman in his very image, and God said, it is very good. Then we get to Genesis chapter 3, which is the uh-oh chapter in the Bible. Uh-oh, everything has changed. Adam and Eve, in being given com a command by God, they chose to ignore God's command and disobey God's command. And sin brought to them immediate separation from God. So they were alienated from God. They were spiritually, in that moment, separated from God. And they were awaiting physical death. Because of their decision. So we're reading Genesis 3 and the question becomes for us, what is God going to do now? Is God going to leave his creation in their sinful state and say, that's what you get for disobeying me? Or will God restore and redeem his fallen creation? Now, praise be to God. We don't have to wait long in the story to find out what God is going to do. For speaking to the serpent in the middle of Genesis 3, God makes an amazing promise. In fact, if your theologians call this promise proto-evangelium, it means the first gospel mention or the mention of the first gospel where God says that from the seed of a woman, one who would be a he, he would crush the serpent's head. Now he says this, the serpent would wound the hill of that seed, but with that same hill, the seed would crush the head of the serpent. And that's where the promise of Christmas began. And God continued that promise with a covenant to Abraham that he reestablished to Isaac and then to Jacob, another covenant to David. And we see this picture. God's people waited and waited for God's promise. And then we are told, finally, in the fullness of time, it came. And he came. But think about those words, when the fullness of time had come. If we took a glass and we filled it to the very brim with water, we would say that glass is full. But the word fullness here suggests taking that glass and putting it under the faucet and letting the water just cascade over the sides of the glass, 
fully overflowing. So this is what the Bible means when it says when the fullness of time had come. It means that history was overflowing with anticipation, anticipating the moment that their Savior would come. In fact, let me say this. History was also overflowing with their need in that moment for a Savior. So the coming of Jesus took place according to the sovereign timing of God, according to the providential orchestration of God, according to the perfect schedule of God. Jesus was born in the fullness of time, meaning the life of Jesus is the very hinge of history. Jesus is at the center of all things. Jesus is the blending of deity and humanity. Jesus is the intersection between heaven and earth, and Jesus is the meeting place of time and eternity. The coming of Jesus was no last-minute solution for sin by God. It was not a hastily thrown-together rescue mission. No, it was the mission from the beginning, and it happened in God's perfect timing. And let me just take a step back and just speak to our lives today for those that need to hear this. God, your God and my God, he is never late and he is never early. Let me say it again. Our God is not late and he is never early. Now, we might think he's late, but it's not that he's late. It's that we're just early. We're just out ahead of him. Oftentimes, we think this. We think, God, you could have done something. God, I gave you plenty of time. Where were you? And then here's what we say. God, if you would have done what I wanted you to do, this could have been avoided. And what's the this? The fact that we completely messed it all up. God, if you, could have, if you would have done what I wanted you to do, I would have not have messed it up this bad. But hear this. God is never late. In fact, his word says this. He makes all things beautiful in his time or in its time. This is what our God does. He is always on time. So many times we view God as if he is up in heaven reacting to the events that unfold here on earth. And maybe we think that God is like us and he gets behind and he misses a few things. And some things miss his view, but nothing could be further from the truth. And if you're taking notes, write this down this morning. God does not respond to history. He writes it. He doesn't respond to history. He writes history. And he has wrote the history of our existence. He has wrote your history. And he writes mine. Jesus came at the perfect time. Which leads us, secondly, Jesus came as the perfect lamb. He came as the perfect lamb. God didn't just send Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, or Joseph. He didn't send Joshua or, or, or David. No. According to verse 4, God sent forth his son. He gave us his son. And then in verse 5 it says this, to redeem those who were under the law. Those of us who are under the law, we have broken the law. All of us, we have all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God so that we might receive adoption as his sons. Paul says this, Jesus redeems us, meaning he paid the ultimate price to set us free from our sin. And according to Paul here and throughout all of Paul's theology, we're not just forgiven by God, which is amazing that God forgives us. But even better, God forgives us and then he makes us sons and daughters of God. It'd be just enough for God to forgive us. But God doesn't stop there. He makes us his children. We become sons and daughters of God, but in order for that to happen, 
the one who the Old Testament describes as the lion from the tribe of Judah had to take on another designation. He had to become a lamb. He had to become a lamb. For centuries, Israel had been sacrificing two lambs every day, one at the morning and one at the evening, every single day. Going back to Genesis chapter 22, when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, and as they're walking up the mountain, Isaac asked his father, Dad, we have the wood, and Dad, we have the fire, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? And that became the question of the Old Testament. Where is the lamb that God would send to forgive us from our sin? And thankfully, the answer that Abraham gave continued to be the answer. God himself will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. And then we get to John chapter 1. And John the Baptist sees Jesus walking towards him. And John the Baptist says this, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb. Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Jesus is the lamb slain in the garden to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Jesus is the lamb of God who would die in the place of Isaac on Mount Moriah. Jesus is the Passover lamb for all of Israel. Jesus is the lamb for Israel's guilt offerings. Yet instead of Constantly giving guilt offerings, Jesus laid down his life one time and did through one sacrifice what millions of animal sacrifices could not do, take away our sin. Jesus is Isaiah's lamb who was led to the slaughter. Jesus is the unique lamb. He is the one and only lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And in knowing Jesus As the lamb who died in our place, having placed our faith in what Jesus has done for us, not what we have done for him or what we will do for him. When we place our faith in Jesus, there is a fullness of an eternal and everlasting hope that is ours. And brothers and sisters, that hope isn't dependent on what we get for Christmas. That hope isn't dependent on the circumstances of our lives. That hope isn't dependent on whether you get the raise you want or this or that that you want. Our hope is based on what Jesus has done and who he will be to us forever. And that hope will last forever. That hope is eternal and it will never disappoint. For you see, the Christmas story clearly shows us that the hope of the universe is a person. Hope was what the angels sang about on that first Christmas night. Hope is what laid in the manger. Hope is what caused Mary to rejoice in her heart, saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. Hope is what caused the shepherds to come and to worship the newborn Savior. Christmas is a story of hope because it chronicles the coming to our earth of the one who is our hope, Jesus Christ. Christ. For you see, for a people born in sin and for a people born and living in a world damaged by sin, there is no other source of hope for you and for me. Jesus alone is the hope of the world. And let me just say this, and please hear this today. Earthly relationships are an insufficient hope. Government and politics, hear this, are an insufficient hope. 
Turn off your TVs and open your Bibles, brothers and sisters. Stop putting your hope in Pennsylvania Avenue and the White House and understand that maybe, just maybe, God wants to remind us that when we put our hope there and it fails every single time, God is saying, why don't you take your eyes off that and put your eyes on me? Maybe, just maybe, more laws and people's obedience to those laws are an insufficient hope. A yearly season of gift-giving and cheer proved to be an insufficient hope. There is only one hope that is sufficient for this season and every season, and his name is Jesus. Do we know him? Oh, that we don't just know him in a practical way, that we can just state the story. Oh, that we would know him in an experiential way that we have experienced the forgiveness that he brings into our lives, that we have experienced the hope that he gives to us, that we know it and that we live it and that we place our hope in it. And if you find your hope in this moment crumbling, let me say this, take your eyes off of insufficient things and put your eyes again on Jesus. Put your eyes again on Jesus. And if you do so, there will be a thrill of hope that will fill your hearts that earthly things can't do so here's how we're going to end today's service i'm going to ask you to stand and one of my favorite songs and really the whole point of this series has been surrounded by the song oh holy night where it says a thrill of hope in the midst of a weary world so we're going to just close our time together today by singing that amazing song and i I pray that as we sing that song that the lord will allow in this moment for our hope to maybe even shift from temporary things and earthly things to the one thing that will hold our hope and will, will be our hope and will be an unfailing hope for us forever. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you in this moment, Lord, and again, there are so many opportunities for distraction. And Lord, again, there are so many opportunities for us to place our hope in things that cannot bring us hope. So many temporary things that will fail us continually. And yet, Jesus, you are the only Savior and you are still the only hope of the world. And Lord, if we are looking outside of you for hope, we will forever be disappointed. And today, even today in this moment, Lord, if we walked in here after all the festivities of the morning and still something missing, the reality is, Lord, what's missing is our eyes aren't on you. And Lord, put our eyes on you in this moment. May we decrease. May the things of this world decrease and may you become greater. May you restore to us today a thrill of hope. For as David prayed, Lord, restore to us the joy of your great salvation. As we focus on you, put our eyes on you, Lord. As we finish this time, Lord, just declaring and singing this song, fill our hearts with a thrill of hope that can only be ours through you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are still and forever will be our hope. And you will never disappoint. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,